Welcome to episode 21 of Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. I'm Father Ron Shibley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church and producer of this series. Revisions to this series are part of the AIC's continuing celebration of the start of its second decade on the web. If you have not already viewed episode 2, my primer on numerology in Revelation, I urge you to do so since understanding how John used numerology is critical to understanding Revelation and this series. The focus of this episode is chapters 15 and 16, the two chapters which are Act 2 of the Divine Drama, a system of organizing the second half of Revelation, and which I discussed in episode 17. St. John's perspective in both chapters 15 and 16 remains the same, on earth looking up toward heaven. These chapters mark what St. John calls the completion of the wrath of God in Revelation 15.1. The illustration, John dictating Revelation, is a 15th century Italian fresco in the Greek style at Mount Athos, Greece. I have divided the readings from chapter 15 into two parts. The first reading is verses 1 through 4. The illustrations are for the Sansever Beatus, an 11th century manuscript of Revelation based on an earlier work from Spain. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. In other visions in Revelation, John describes what he saw, but here, as in Revelation 12, verse 1, he calls it a sign, one which is great and marvelous. John used the word sign from the Greek samian in his gospel to describe the seven demonstrations of divine power by which Jesus performed miracles. The changing of water into wine at the wedding at Cana, John 2, 1 to 11. The healings of the nobleman's son, John 4, 46 to 54. The paralytic man, John 5, 1 to 15. The blind man, 9, 1 to 41. And the raising of Lazarus, 11, 38 to 44. Each of these was described and discussed in the AIC Bible study series, New Testament Gospels. This sign, great and marvelous, is the appearance of the seven angels who bear the last seven plagues. The magical, mystical seven 
has been used nearly three dozen times in Revelation, beginning with the seven stars in chapter 1. With these, St. John wrote, the wrath of God is complete, meaning the end of the great war in heaven between God and Satan, described in Revelation, beginning with chapter 12, the account of the woman, the child, and the dragon. In verse 2, St. John describes something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, upon which the angels stand, noting that they celebrate the complete victory over the beast, his image and his mark, and the number of his name, from chapter 13, discussed in episode 18. St. John described a sea of glass-like crystal as being before the throne of God in Revelation 4, verse 6. The song they sing in verses 3 and 4, the eighth song in Revelation, is a composite of the Song of Moses, celebrating the escape from Egypt through the Red Sea and the destruction by water of the Pharaoh's chariots in Exodus 15, 1-8, Deuteronomy 32, 1-43, and celebrated in Psalm 136, and earlier songs in praise of either God or the throne or the Lamb. The song includes the title, Lord God Almighty, the latter from the Greek Pantocrator, which was also sung in Revelation 4, verse 8, and Revelation 11:17. The illustration is Christ Pantocrator with Peter, Paul, and two angels from a mosaic on the west wall of the nave at the Capella Palatina Palermo, Sicily, added to the circa 1140 building before 1170 A.D. Various versions of the Old Testament songs were used in Hebrew Sabbath worship, and, it is believed, variations of St. John's version in Revelation were actually used in early Christian liturgies. The Orthodox Church sings the song in Revelation 15, verses 3 and 4 in its baptism rites and during Epiphany season where it is used as a water blessing. The devout tone is in sharp contrast to that of the idolatrous songs in Praise of the Beast in chapters 12 and 13. The second and final reading from chapter 15 is verses 5 through 8. The illustrations are from the St. Saver Beatus, an 11th century manuscript of Revelation based upon an earlier manuscript in Spain, and a detail from the Bamberg Apocalypse, also from the 11th century, which was used in full size on page 128 of the companion AIC bookstore publication, Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came these seven angels, having these seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. 
and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. In verse 5, the tabernacle of the testimony is opened. The Old Testament precedent is the tabernacle of witness described in Numbers 17, 1-7 as the place where the twelve rods of the leaders of the twelve tribes of Israel were kept and where the rod of Aaron, quote, sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds in verse 8. The tabernacle of the testimony was a predecessor or model for the temple in Jerusalem. Numerology is present abundantly once again when in verses 6 and 7 from the tabernacle temple in heaven come seven angels in pure bright linen with golden bands around their chests and bearing seven plagues. They are met by one of the four living creatures and given seven bowls full of the wrath of God. The four living creatures, based upon the vision of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 1, 5, and 21, first appeared in Revelation 4, 6 through 11, and again in Revelation 5, verses 6 to 14, Revelation 6, verses 1 to 8, Revelation 7, verse 11, and Revelation 14.3, discussed respectively in episode 9, 10, 11, 13, and 20. Two Old Testament precedents are called upon in verse 8, when St. John describes smoke filling the temple, quote, that so none could enter until the bowls of plague were completed. The first precedent is Exodus 40, verses 34 to 35, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting, because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The second precedent is First Kings 8, verses 10 and 11, which tells of the placement of the ark in the temple of Solomon. And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. I have divided the reading of chapter 16, which is in reality a continuation of events in chapter 15, and does not have a separate introduction, into four parts. The first is verses 1 through 7. The illustration is another from the Bamberg Apocalypse, as used on page 128 in Revelation and Idealist Interpretation, and scenes of the first through the fourth bowls from the Sansaver Beatus. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. 
then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood as of a dead man and every living creature in the sea died then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water and they became blood and i heard the angel of the waters saying you are righteous o lord the one who is and who was and who is to be because you have judged these things for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink for it is their just due and i heard another from the altar saying even so lord god almighty true and righteous are your judgments before i begin discussion of revelation sixteen verses one to seven i want to share with you an explanation of the translation issue regarding the difference between bowl in the new king james version and vile in the king james version both words come from the greek p-h-i-a-l-e pronounced fiale which describes a shallow broad container which is more like today's bowl than it is like the test tube style laboratory vessel in the modern world called a vial bowl is a more accurate translation based upon modern language usage in verse one another loud voice from the temple directs the angel to quote pour out the plagues of wrath on the earth just as the hebrew priest poured blood on the horns of the altar and around the base of the altar at the Feast of Atonement. Described in Leviticus 4, verses 5 to 7, 18 and 25. These bowl plagues differ from the trumpet judgments in chapters 8, 9, and 11, which were partial, one-third, 42 months, 1,260 days with a chance of repentance. The bowl plagues in chapter 16 are a final judgment. The first plague in verse 2 causes foul and loathsome sores on the heads and mouths of those who worshipped the beast or bore his mark. The Old Testament precedent is the boils described in the Exodus account of the sixth plague in Egypt in Exodus 9, verses 8 to 11. The second and third bowls, verses 3 and 4, turn the seas, rivers, and springs to blood and causes the death of everything in the sea. The effect is similar to the first plague in Egypt, Exodus 7, verses 14 to 24, which I discussed in Revelation 8, 8 to 11, concerning the second trumpet plague in episode 13. In verses 5 and 6, after the pouring out of the three bowls of wrath, the angels sing another song, the ninth in Revelation. The song is an unusual doxology, similar to the style of the cursing psalms, because they shed the blood of the saints, quote, blood to drink, unquote, was, quote, their just due from the righteous God who was and is and is to come. The verbs was, is, and is to come were used by Jesus in the I Am, the Alpha and Omega declaration in Revelation 1, verse 8. 
Verse 7 contains a short doxology, the tenth in Revelation, proclaiming God as Lord God Almighty, another use of the Greek title Pantocrator, and extolling his judgments as true and righteous. That it is spoken by the angel, quote, from the altar, unquote, suggests that it is intended to offer solace to those who had to hide under the altar in Revelation 8, verses 3 to 5, and Revelation 9, verse 13. The second reading from chapter 16 is verses 8 through 11. The illustrations are more illuminations from the saint Savior Beatus. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. In verses 8 and 9, the followers of the beast, scorched by the heat of the sun into which the fourth angel poured his bowl, continued to blaspheme God's name and refused to repent and worship him. This stands in stark contrast to the Old Testament precedent of the three children thrown into the fire for refusing to worship Nebuchadnezzar's golden image and who were untouched by the fire, according to the account in the Septuagint Greek Old Testament, abbreviated LXX, for Daniel 3, verses 19 to 25, known among Anglicans and other liturgical Denomination says the song of the three children. In verses 10 and 11, the fifth angel's plague is poured on the throne of the beast, producing darkness and painful gnawing of tongues and sores, but also failing to induce repentance. The effect of the plague is like that in the ninth plague in Egypt in Exodus 10 verses 21 to 29. The throne of the beast is likely an allusion to Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire. The third reading from chapter 16 is verses 12 to 16. With more illuminations from the Saint Savior Beatus. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief, Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked that they see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. The great river Euphrates in verse 12 
marked the easternmost edge of the Roman Empire, causing it to dry up made conquest easier for the kings of the east, which most likely refers to Parthia, another name for Persia, in the area southeast of the Caspian Sea in what is today known as Iran. The Romans were never successful militarily against the Parthians. Many historians believe that the Parthians, who came to the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.9, may have been the descendants of Jews forcibly exiled to Parthia by the Babylonians. The drying up of the water is an allusion to several such incidents in the Old Testament recorded in historical accounts and the writing of the prophets, to whose work St. John has alluded in earlier chapters, including the crossing of the Red Sea in Exodus 14.21, the crossing of the Jordan into the Promised Land in Joshua 3.17, and prophecies in Isaiah 11.15, Jeremiah 51.36, and Zechariah 10, verse 11. Verses 13 to 14 are full of references to Old Testament and New Testament images which both devout Christians and Hebrews of John's day would have understood. The frogs coming out of the mouths of the unclean spirits are similar to the second plague in Egypt in Exodus 8, 1 to 14. In Leviticus 11.10, frogs are listed as unclean creatures because they live in the seas and rivers but do not have fins and scales. Two New Testament precedents for the concept of false prophets are 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And second, a prophecy spoken by Jesus in Mark 13, verses 22a, false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The illustration is an illumination of Christ in majesty in colors and gold on parchment from an Oxford Psalter made in the first quarter of the 13th century before 1220 A.D. from the collection of the British Library, London, England. In verse 14b, St. John warns of the coming of a battle called the Great Day of God Almighty. The term Day of the Lord, or Great Day of the Lord, occurs more than a dozen times, mostly in the same context of final judgment, and discussed in earlier episodes concerning the writings of the prophets Isaiah, Zephaniah, Joel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Obadiah, Zechariah, and Malachi. St. Peter described the same event which will come in the future in Second Peter 3, verse 12. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and elements will melt with fervent heat. In the introduction to my discussion of Revelation 6 in episode 11, I read Jesus' remarks concerning the coming day of tribulation in Matthew 26, 7, 8, 29, 30, and 31, which places the day of judgment in the same context as St. John envisions in Revelation 17, verse 14b. 
The illustration is a 13th century tempera and gold on panel icon of St. Peter, which was discovered in a street market in Amsterdam in 1982 from the Byzantine collection at Dumbarton Oaks, Washington, D.C. In verses 15 and 16, the sixth angel makes an announcement which includes the third beatitude in Revelation and predicts where the confrontation alluded to in verse 14b will take place. His warning concerning the blessedness of the one who watches and keeps his garments is an allusion to the ancient Hebrew temple practice of shaming a night guard who fell asleep on duty for the second time by stripping him of his clothing so that all could see the shame of his nakedness. In verse 16b, the sixth angel calls the place of battle Armageddon. The name strikes fear today, but it might not have been the name of an actual place, but only a symbol of the great conflict to come in chapter 20. Or it may have been a reference to prophecies of a day of the Lord in Joel 2 and in Ezekiel. The name, used in Scripture only this one time in Revelation, may be derived from the name of the Hebrew city of Megiddo, or it may have been a Greek phonetic combination of the Hebrew Har-Megiddo, or Hill of Megiddo. Oddly, Zechariah referred to a Valley of Megiddo in Zechariah 12, verse 11. The Orthodox Study Bible, New Testament, and Psalms notes that the closest hill to Megiddo is Mount Carmel, where Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal. In 1 Kings 18, verses 19 to 40. The final reading from chapter 16 is verses 17 to 21. The illustration is a detail from The Seventh Bowl Poured Out in the Bamberg Apocalypse, used in full size on page 136 in the companion AIC bookstore publication, Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and all the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. In verse 17, the seventh angel pours out his bowl, and a loud voice from the temple of heaven cries out, It is done. The closest New Testament precedent is the final words of Christ from the cross. It is finished in John 19, verse 30. The final verses of chapter 16, the account of the final judgment, are filled with familiar allusions to Old Testament images used extensively in earlier chapters, 
thunderings and lightnings, both based on Exodus 19, verse 16, first heard in Revelation 4, verse 5, and used many times in later chapters. And there are New Testament precedents in Revelation for the loud voice in heaven, which was first heard in Revelation 1, verse 10, and in many later chapters. The details are quite similar to the destruction following the seventh and last trumpet in chapter 11, verse 19. Two other details are unique to chapter 16. The first is the reference to an earthquake in 1618. While St. John had referred to earthquakes in Revelation 6.12, following the opening of the sixth seal, in 8.5, following the seventh seal, and 11.13 and 19, just before and just after the seventh trumpet, this earthquake is called the greatest earthquake in human history. Earthquakes in various places, in Matthew 24-7, were one of the events prophesied by Jesus as warnings of the coming of judgment. The observation in verse 19 that the cities of the nations fell implies that this was a worldwide event with its epicenter at the great city, presumably Great Babylon from Revelation 16 verse 19. The city is split into three parts, after which the hills are flattened and islands disappeared. The second unique detail is the huge hailstones, described as weighing one talent, which in modern measurement is about 75 pounds. Since the context of the seven bowls being poured upon mankind as plagues, St. John calls the hail a plague, recalling the Old Testament image of the seventh plague in Egypt in Exodus 9, 13-35, and cited several times in earlier episodes, including once earlier in this episode. The combination of quake and enormous hailstones caused men to blaspheme God. This accusation repeats the one used in Revelation 16, verses 9 and 11, describing the reaction of the pouring out of the fourth and fifth bowls. The Orthodox Study Bible New Testament and Psalms comments that even this combination of cataclysms, earthquake and 75-pound hail, did not produce repentance. Thank you for joining me for episode 21 of Revelation, an Idealist Interpretation. Next time, in episode 22, the focus is on chapter 17, The Harlot of Babylon and Her Beast, the first of two chapters of Act 3 of the divine drama that is the second half of Revelation. Other AIC resources for topics discussed in this episode include from the AIC Bible Study video series, The New Testament Gospels, The Seven Signs in the Gospel of John, five of which are unique to his gospel, are the subject of episode 36 to episode 38. From the AIC Bookstore Publications in the Gospel of John, annotated and illustrated, presented in 198 pages with 86 illustrations, from the 5th to the 20th century, the seven signs are discussed in chapters 2, 4, 5, 9, and 11. 
In the companion book in this series, Revelation and Idealist Interpretation, chapters 15 and 16 include commentary on the text of each chapter with four beautiful and highly imaginative illuminations from the Bamberg Apocalypse, which you can see on page 128, 132, 134, and 136. The book includes a total of 51 illustrations from the Bamberg Manuscript. My primer on numerology in Revelation is found on pages 7 to 11, and a special text box, Lord God Almighty in Revelation, on page 97, and another, Signs in Revelation and the Gospel of John, on page 98. In the Acts of the Apostles, annotated and illustrated, presented in 224 pages with 77 illustrations from the 9th to the 21st century, the descent of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and discussion of the regions from which men came, including the Parthians, is discussed and illustrated in chapter 2. In the writing prophets of the Old Testament, of the major prophets mentioned in part 2 include Isaiah, discussed and illustrated in chapter 1, pages 13 to 20, Jeremiah in chapter 2, pages 21 to 28, and Ezekiel in chapter 3, pages 29 to 36, Daniel in chapter 4, with the complete Septuagint text of the Song of the Three Children on pages 51 to 53. Of the minor prophets in part 3, Joel is discussed in chapter 2, pages 65 to 70, Amos in chapter 3, pages 71 to 78, Obadiah in chapter 4, pages 79 to 82, Zephaniah in chapter 9, pages 99 to 102, Zechariah in chapter 11, pages 105 to 110, and Malachi in chapter 12, pages 110 to 116. From Layman's Lexicon, words and phrases of special interest are angels slash archangels, blasphemy, day of the Lord, energy slash energies of God, judgment, numerology, pantocrator, prophet slash prophecy, Satan, Septuagint, sign, and temple. From the Prayer Book Psalter, History, Text, and Commentary, the subject of imprecatory psalms or cursing psalms is discussed and identified on pages nine, little letters 9 and 10 in the introduction. Psalms mentioned in this episode include three psalms credited to David, including Psalm 1, the two-way psalm on pages 1 to 2, Psalm 130, the 11th of 15 Songs of Ascent, on pages 301 to 302, and finally, Psalm 136 on page 311 to 313. The key to accessing everything produced by the Anglican Internet Church is available at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net, where we've made it easier for you to learn about Christian education, doctrine, worship, and study using your preferred way of learning. You can watch our Bible study, Christian education, and seasonal video series using the links on either the digital library or Bible study pages. If you prefer listening, you can listen to the podcast versions of any of our videos using the links on the podcast archive page, 
or to our podcast homilies for all the Sundays in the 1928 Book of Common Prayer using the links on the podcast homilies page. If you prefer written works, you can access any of the 17 AIC bookstore publications, all but one available in both paperback and Kindle editions, using the virtual bookstore link at the bottom of the homepage, or directly using my Amazon Author Central page, https colon right slash right slash www.amazon.com right slash author right slash Ronald hyphen E hyphen Shibley. Everything after dot com must be in lowercase letters. I also invite you to subscribe to my blog page at www. Anglican Internet Church, accessible through the Father Ron's blog tab at the top or the bottom of any page on the site. By clicking the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend, you'll be invited to register your email address and receive notice of all new postings. Please be assured that we do not share subscriber information with any other organization, and you can ask for the removal of your address at any time. Until next time, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and make use of its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.